Welcome to Trinity United Methodist Church in Duncanville, Texas. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Holy Trinity. We often talk about God, our Creator. We talk about Jesus Christ. But what or who is the Holy Spirit? Can we understand the Holy Spirit better? Join us for the message, The Gift God Gives. Good morning and welcome to worship here at Trinity United Methodist Church in Duncanville, Texas. You know, we talk a lot about the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit here in this church. We often talk about God, our Creator. We talk about Jesus and His life and teachings. But just what or who is the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is often the forgotten stepchild of the Trinity. But the, but the Holy Spirit, nonetheless, is one of the greatest gifts God has ever given us. So join us later for our message about the gift that God gives. And this week's scripture reading shall come from the New Testament. And we are starting in John chapter 14, verses 15 through 19, and then 25 and 26. Listen now to the word of God. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. This is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him because he abides with you, and he will be in you. I will not leave you orphaned. I am coming to you. In a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Because I live, you will also live. I have said these things to you while I am still with you, but the Advocate the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and remind you of all that I have said to you. And now in 1 Corinthians 2, 10 through 14. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For what human beings know that is truly human except the human spirit that is within. So also no one comprehends what is truly God's except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit that is from God, so that we may understand the gifts bestowed on us by God. And we speak of these things in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual things to those who are spiritual. Those who are unspiritual do not receive the gifts of God's Spirit, for they are foolishness to them, and they are unable to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. When my friends and I get together, we often like to play board games. Games based on word puns are among my favorite, but my particular favorite, I think as many of you know, is Trivial Pursuit. Throughout my life and my education, I have managed to pick up quite a few facts and bits of information that serve no practical purpose whatsoever. I just love learning for learning's sake, and so there's a lot of these facts about a broad range of subjects that go running through my brain. 
and in trivial pursuit, I can corral all of these facts into the goal of winning the game. Now, I can also be quite competitive, at least at those things that I think I should be able to win. For example, I wouldn't mind at all if I lost a baking contest. My idea of baking consists of putting pre-constructed globs of store-bought cookie dough on a cookie sheet <laughs> and putting it in the oven, and I hope there would be many people who could beat me at a baking contest. On the other hand, I don't like to lose at Trivial Pursuit. I feel as if I should always be able to win trivia games. But alas, my friends are a fairly smart bunch, and I don't win every time by a long shot. But for this reason, I was especially touched then by the gift that my friends gave me when I was commissioned in 2016. Commissioning, by the way, is the step right before ordination. It happens uh, two to three years prior to ordination. Well, knowing that I love trivia games and knowing that I like to win, they made a game from scratch just for me. They typed out 100 cards of Bible trivia. Now, the cards look just like the cards from Trivial Pursuit. They then put them in a tin and gave them to me. Here was a trivia game that I would always be able to win, at least when I played them, if not, maybe not my, my clergy friends, but at least when I played them. Now, I really thought this was an incredible, incredibly thoughtful gift, and it took them quite some time to, to put this all together, and I was very moved by this effort, and so therefore, I really treasure this gift, and I'm going to treasure it for the rest of my life. So I'm asking you, what is the greatest or most thoughtful gift that anyone has ever given you? It could be uh, jewelry or travel or a new car or something that's handmade. All of us have received gifts that somehow occupy, for some reason, a special place in our hearts. Um, actually, this is going to be congregational participation. So what, what, what are some special gifts that you remember that you've received over the years that have a special place in your heart? What that? A trip to Santa Fe. A trip to Santa Fe travel is always a top one on my list. My first Valentine's uh, plant that I accidentally killed. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 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 Jan received a Valentine plant, which he subsequently killed. Oh yeah, anything the kids handmade you, that, that, that's always special. I want at least one person on this side to give me a special gift. <laughs> yes, Chris. For an That's, that is so sweet, Richard. <laughs> if, you didn't, if you didn't hear that, Chris was saying that for an engagement gift, Richard uh, took a chest and lined it with cedar and filled it with wonderful things to celebrate their engagement. I, I often think that things that people actually take time with can always be really, really meaningful. Well, there is a gift from God that occupies a special place in our hearts. And that's the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, on his last night with his friends, 
Jesus told his disciples about this gift, which he said that the Father would send them. And Michael read this earlier from the Gospel of John. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. I will not leave you orphaned, I'm coming to you. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and remind you of all that I have said to you. So as great as this gift is, however, I think sometimes we can fail to fully appreciate it. And sometimes, frankly, we fail to fully comprehend it. We know the Holy Spirit is a member of the Trinity along with the Father and the Son. Yet in many ways, and I say this with all apologies to all stepchildren and stepparents everywhere, but sometimes I feel like the Holy Spirit is kind of like the forgotten stepchild of the Trinity, sort of like the junior partner of the firm. A few years ago, though, I heard something that really helped me to understand the differences between various branches of uh, Protestantism. This one guy said that mainline churches, like United Methodists or Presbyterians or Episcopalians, mainline churches usually emphasize out of the Trinity God the Father or God the Creator. Evangelical or fundamentalist or conservative churches usually emphasize God the Son, Jesus Christ. And then Pentecostal or charismatic churches usually emphasize the Holy Spirit. The thing is, a well-rounded Christianity will give us more or less equal time to all three. But I do think the Holy Spirit often gets short shrift because of the Spirit's association with Pentecostal or charismatic branches of the church. Sometimes we may be put off by the emotionalism of charismatic services. And sometimes we may resent the implication by some that somehow we're lesser Christians or perhaps not Christians at all if we've never spoken in tongues. Well, believe it or not, however, the Pentecostal movement actually grew out of Methodism in the early 20th century. And we forget, or sometimes we're not even aware that John Wesley really emphasized the Holy Spirit in his writings. In fact, in his day, Wesley and the Methodists were accused of being enthusiasts because they were so infused with the presence of the Holy Spirit. And like the word Methodist, the word enthusiast was originally a pejorative term for people who got too emotional during worship. So even though Wesley himself was a rather emotionally reserved person, he learned to welcome this enthusiasm because he saw it as a sign of the Holy Spirit at work. There's a reason that the symbol of Methodism is a cross and a flame because the flame symbolizes the fire of God, that is the fire of the Holy Spirit. And if you'll, I, I'm sorry I didn't tell the sound booth about this ahead of time, but if y'all could do a wide shot right now, because I want uh, those at home to be able to see our banners. And here you see on the banners, uh, all three of them you see a dove, but you also see a flame as well. And so the dove, the flame, but also water, all three of these things are symbols then of the Holy Spirit. We have some, no, that's, that's I was going to say our pyramid, which y'all can't see because we have our communion table, but it also has a dove and some flames as well. But those three things, thank you very much, Sound Booth. But those three things, uh, the dove, the fire, and water, are three of our most common symbols of the Holy Spirit. 
So how are we to understand then this Holy Spirit and the role that the Holy Spirit plays in our lives? Well, we experience the majesty of God in the grandeur of creation. We experience God in the life and the teachings and the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But even though Jesus is no longer with us in body, we can still experience Christ's presence in the nearness of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, though, is still kind of the hardest person of the, of the Trinity to fathom. So we use these symbols, the flight of the dove, the flame of fire, the movement of wind, and also the, the, the flow of water. And as I've often told you, in both the Greek and Hebrew languages, the two languages of the Bible, the same word means breath and wind and spirit. In Hebrew, the word is ruach. In Greek, it is pneuma. But both ruach and pneuma mean wind and breath and spirit. We can think then of the spirit as kind of like a wind from God or even the very breath of God. Because you see, sometimes God the Father can seem somehow very far removed from us. And God the Son, Jesus, well, he's no longer physically on earth with us. The Spirit, however, the Spirit is right here, right now, and as close as our own breath. And just as oxygen fills our lungs and then is uh, transferred throughout every artery of our body, so God's Spirit enters us, filling us with God's presence and invading our hearts and minds down to the tips of our fingers and toes and transforming us furthermore, into God's perfect image. The Gospel of John also records a conversation between Jesus and the Pharisee Nicodemus. And in this encounter, Jesus compares the Holy Spirit to the wind. There he says, Truly, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. What, born, what is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I said to you, you must be born from above. The wind blows where it chooses and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Here's another word picture that I like to use. I've used it before, uh, and I, I, I like to sometimes bring this up because it really helps me understand the Trinity. And so in this word picture, I envision God the Father as the designer of a great wilderness. It's a very beautiful wilderness, but it's, it's a wilderness that's very difficult to traverse. And we can think of God the Father then as the creator of this wilderness, the creator of this beauty, but also the destination to which we strive, both then the Alpha and the Omega. Now, as we traverse this wilderness, Jesus goes just a little ahead of us, making a safe passage of the landscape, showing us where the terrain falls and rises, where the trail twists and turns, where the obstacles are, whether they're seen or unseen. Jesus serves then as kind of our guide and our example. But it's the Spirit. It's the Spirit, however, that is right there beside us. It's the Spirit that's holding our hands and steadying our gait and helping us over the impasses and even carrying us 
when the trail becomes too treacherous to pass. It is a spirit who is God's very presence in our lives and through the spirit that we experience God's presence. In Christian doctrine and theology, we say that the person of the Trinity is co-equal and co-eternal with the Father and the Son. But sometimes I think a more helpful way to talk about the Trinity may have less to do with, with orthodox doctrines, and maybe it's better to talk about the way we experience the Spirit in our lives. Because when it comes to the Spirit, I think it can be more helpful to think in terms of verbs than of nouns. And think about how the Holy Spirit is how God is active and present in the world right now. So over the next 10 weeks, we're going to be exploring the Holy Spirit and how the Spirit functions in our lives. Experiencing the Holy Spirit isn't just for the Pentecostals or the Charismatics or for the super-Christian. The Holy Spirit is a gift for all of us. And the Holy Spirit is not just present when we're having you know, something that might be labeled a religious or a spiritual experience. The Spirit is constantly active in every aspect of our daily lives, where, whether we're aware of the presence or not. But the more present we are to the presence of the Holy Spirit, then the greater the adventure we can share with the Holy Spirit, the adventure that the Spirit can make out of our lives. So there's going to be three major convictions that's going to be guiding our time then with the Holy Spirit. Number one, we're going to remember, we must remember, that the Holy Spirit is God's good gift. In a sermon on the day of Pentecost, Peter proclaimed there, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, so that your sins may be forgiven, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The gift of the Holy Spirit is nothing less than the gift of God's very presence, a gift of God's very self. Sometimes we may use the pronoun it when referring to the Holy Spirit, but the Spirit is not an impersonal force. The Spirit is a who, not an it, because the Holy Spirit is God. Second, God loves us because God is love. This love is communicated to us through our own religious and spiritual experiences with God, but this love is also communicated to us through the love that we both give and receive from God's other creatures, particularly other people, but sometimes I think our dogs and cats as well. Third, I think it'd be helpful if we equate the Holy Spirit with God's grace. And it's been noted by some Bible scholars that the words grace and Holy Spirit can be used sometimes interchangeably in portions of the New Testament. For example, a few weeks ago I um, preached on uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And in that passage Paul tells us about a hardship that he had to endure. And so you may remember this passage. Therefore, to keep me from being too elated, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from being too elated. Three times I appealed to the Lord about this, that it would leave me, but he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is made perfect in weakness. So I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Now hear this again with the word spirit 
substituted now then for the word grace. Three times I appealed to the Lord about this, that it would lead me. But he said to me, my spirit is sufficient for you, for power is made perfect in weakness. As one writer says, God's grace is the Holy Spirit acting in our lives to accomplish those things that we are unable to accomplish on our own. Now we Methodists, we love to think about the different types of grace, and we have provenient and justifying and sanctifying grace. Provenient grace is that grace that surrounds us. It surrounds us like the air that we breathe from the moment that we're born. And justifying grace is the grace that allows us to accept God's gift of love and mercy and forgiveness and to be made right with God. And then there is sanctifying grace that works within us to bring us to perfection in Christ so that we can more fully reflect the image of God. And at each stage of grace, it is then the Holy Spirit that is present at at work. So it's the Holy Spirit who is present and prevenient in our lives from the moment that we are born. It's the Holy Spirit who prompts us to accept God's, love of love, uh, God's gift of love, mercy, and forgiveness. It's the Holy Spirit who brings us to perfection in love in Christ. Through the Holy Spirit, God is lovingly present and always active in our lives. The problem is, however, that even when God is always lovingly present and always active in our lives, we can spend most of our lives blithely unaware of that presence. We're usually oblivious to this action. And I think it's important that we develop the spiritual practice of noticing the presence and the action of the Holy Spirit. So I want you to think back about your own lives. Look back at your own lives. What were the most significant moments in your life when you felt the most loved, cherished, and valued? What were the greatest gifts of love and grace that you have received? When has the Holy Spirit encouraged you in your relationship with God? What is your earliest memory of God's love and grace? What is your most recent memory of God's love and grace? As you think about these things and look back over your answers, I hope you'll come to realize that the Spirit has been active in your life way before you were ever aware of the presence of God, before you ever had a chance to say yes to God's invitation. I encourage you to participate in the spiritual practice of the prayer of examine. And I've talked about this before. It's a daily prayer where you review the events of the day and your feelings about the events of the day. You, you may go over any sins you committed. You ask forgiveness. But you also go over your day and notice every time that your life has been touched by love and grace. And then you can give thanks for that wonderful gift. Our daily prayer is for God to make us more fully aware of all the ways that the Holy Spirit is active and alive in our lives. As we read from the psalmist as part of our call to worship. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and settle at the farthest limits of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me fast. 
Let us make this a reality in our lives. Amen. Please receive this benediction. Just as the Holy Spirit is symbolized by fire, water, and wind, go forth into the world to spread the fire of God's love, to spread the waters of God's healing, and to blow about God's grace is a refreshing breeze. In the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit. Amen. We hope today's service was a blessing for you. Join us every Sunday here on Facebook Live at 11 a.m. Join us again next Sunday as we continue our sermon series, The Holy Spirit, The Fire of God. You can always access our services through our website, tumcd.org, our Facebook page, our YouTube channel, and our podcast, Jane's Most Excellent Church Adventure. If you like what you're hearing, you can also support our ministry with your gift through our website, tumcd.org. God bless you in the week ahead, and we'll see you Sunday at Trinity United Methodist Church.